Um, my name is Steve. Uh, I am one of the uh, elder candidates here. Uh, I am also part of the musical pastor process that we have going on through the summer here. Um, but uh, I thank you visitors for being here today. Um, and I pray that the, the time that you spend with us uh, will be a blessing to you. Um, I also want to thank you, church family, uh, and the elders for, again, allowing me the opportunity to, uh, to speak to you this morning. Um, I was just sitting in my seat thinking about how blessed I am to be able to serve with a group of men, uh, our elders and my fellow elder candidate, um, how blessed I am to be able to be, have those guys in my life and um, how we um, are, have the opportunity to get together every week and, uh, uh, and share uh, together what's going on in our lives and, uh, and pray for you, our church family. Uh, it's, uh, it's an awesome, awesome time that we have. And I, uh, you know, there's a lot of times that, uh, that God asks us to do things that we think, that's, that's, I'm not cut out for that. I wasn't made for that. Uh, this is exactly one of those things that I was, for years and years and years, thought I was not cut out to do. Um, I never in a million years thought that I would start preaching at the age of 62. So um, I've got a lot of catching up to do, but I thank you for the opportunity uh, to do this and, uh, and bear with me this morning. So today we're going to continue in our series, uh, our summer series of, uh, in Psalms that's uh, called uh, Aligning Ourselves with God's Heart. So far this summer, we've talked about God's deliverance, God's integrity, his, uh, the blessing of fearing the Lord. We've talked about calm trust in the Lord, praise to the Lord, God's works, and God's eternity. This week, we're going to be looking at Psalm 60, and we'll be looking at a time where Israel has disobeyed God and is suffering the consequences of that disobedience. So, again, if you'll turn with me to, to Psalm 60, the title of our message today is Grieving Defeat, Praying for Restoration. Grieving Defeat, Praying for Restoration. Psalm 60 tells us of yet another time when Israel has disobeyed God and is experiencing severe setbacks on the battlefield this time. We may look back at the history of Israel and uh, with some unbelief and maybe a little arrogance, we think, how could they continually turn from God after all he's done for them? We're looking at a, a time period from Moses to David of about 500 years. So there's a lot of things that have happened in that 500 years. Moses led the Israelites out of, G out of Egypt. They saw countless numbers 
of miracles along the way. Um, they were given victory over all their enemies in the promised land. We roll up to David's time. David has been given victory over Saul. David has even been given protection from the rebellion of his own son. And how many more instances can we think of where God has blessed them? But wait a minute. How can we blame them for their unbelief when we disobey God continually, just as they did? But instead of blaming them, let's learn from God's Word. Let's learn from the sins of David and Israel and others because that's the reason God gave us His Word. Amen? Is to learn from those mistakes. If you're able, uh, would you please stand as we read God's Holy Word? Again, we're in Psalm 60. To the choir master, according to Shishan Eduth, a mitcam of David for instruction, when he strove with Aram, Naharaim, and Aram Zobah, and when Joab on his return struck down 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt. O oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry, oh, restore us. You have been made, you have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. Verse 3, you have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it. From the bow. Selah. That your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. With exultation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the vale of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe, over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go forth, O God, with our enemies. Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God, we shall do valiantly. It is He who will tread down our foes. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, God, for the stories, the documentation of things that have happened that we have an opportunity to, to study and we have an opportunity to learn from. I pray now, God, as, as we take this time to, to look through this psalm of David, that you prick our hearts, 
that we leave here closer to you, realizing that we are blessed beyond measure to be a child of yours. Father, I ask these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe seated. Unless you want to keep standing, then that's okay with me if you want to do that. <clears throat> okay, the, the big idea, the main idea that I'd like for you to leave with today is that in order to gain the victory that God desires for us, we must lift high the banner of the love of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. In order to gain the victory that God desires for us, we must lift high the banner of the love of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Tactics have changed recently in military conflicts, but before the time of voice communications on battlefields, Soldiers always looked to find their units by the banner or the flag that they were assigned to. When they saw that banner, they would know where to regroup. So if the signal was given, if the lines broke, if there were, was an emergency, they would look for that banner and move toward that banner in an effort to get back together with their assigned group. The reason for this was for safety for the soldiers. It was to strengthen their resolve to fight. But most importantly, it was to regroup and lift the spirits of the soldiers for them to fight again. My prayer this morning is that when you leave you will desire to rally around our battle flag, which is the banner of love, which is Jesus Christ. So let's jump in. As I've mentioned before, uh, we never need to skip over the introduction. Um, and this, uh, this passage that we uh, are looking at this morning has a rather long introduction and got bunches of hard words in it. Uh, but we're going to look at it anyway because there are uh, things that it might tell us that might be important, so we want to make sure. First off, I want to tell you that the, uh, the battle that David is involved in, David and, and Israel is involved in, uh, this battle is uh, described in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. It's not named specifically, um, but it is contained uh, in those accounts. So this psalm is written to the choir master to the tune of Lily of the Testimony, and it's a mitcam. Anybody know what a mitcam is? Nobody. Well, the truth is that nobody knows really what a mitcam is. Um, it can be closely associated with uh, other Hebrew words that can mean writing, engraving, uh, or simply a technical term to guide the singer or to denote the tune to be played. 
But the main idea of a mitkam is that it is preserved. It can be, um, uh, I looked at uh, one source that said that uh, they have found psalms written actually on tablets of gold. And I think maybe that might be what a mitkam is. So this psalm, it's, it's written for instruction. David is the author and he intended this psalm to be remembered and used in times of trouble. So since it's called a mitkam, it was probably preserved in some special way to ensure its consistent use. Little historical background. Uh, your Bible may say that Israel was fighting with um, hard word. I'm not going. I've already said it once. I'm not going to say it again. Uh, and with Aram Zobah, or it may say Mesopotamia and Syria of Zobah. Uh, so this is not a history class, and I am not a professor of antiquities. So all we're going to do is is say that. Um, since Mesopotamia was part of Syria, Israel was in bat was at battle or in battle with Syria on their northern border. The next statement is about Joab, the Edomites, and the Valley of Salt, and that refers to Edom's almost simultaneous attack uh, on Israel from the south. Israel fights in a lot of wars that we, uh, we see in the Old Testament. But it appears as though they were frequently fighting Edom. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau and the Israelites the descendants of Jacob. So those of you that have been in Sunday school over the last several weeks, what's the relationship between Esau and Joseph? They were brothers. They were brothers that had disagreements. They were brothers that had fighting uh, when they were around. And so their descendants are still fighting to this day in, in uh, David's time. So let's move on. Psalm 60 picks up this whole Bible theme of the promised land. At stake in this battle, in this defeat that Israel is experiencing, at stake is God's ancient promises to Abraham that God would give Abraham's descendants the promised land. God placed Adam and Eve on a small portion of the earth, but their mandate was to spread out and subdue all of it. They rebelled against God, and he later called Abraham to go to the land he would show him. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, would wind up in captivity in Egypt, but God brought them back to the land through Moses. But even after settling in the promised land, Israel is still fighting for it. God had pledged this land to his people, so was he going to go back on that promise? Absolutely not. God can't do that. Israel's disobedience in this case was the source of the continued conflict. 
Other than our text today, there are many times, many other writers of Psalms who cried out for help during times of defeat of Israel. Psalm 44 is another cry for, for help. In this case, Israel has been defeated despite their faith and obedience this time. This psalm says that you have given us up like sheep intended for food. The suffering of Israel, though not understood, may be described as a battle scar that demonstrates loyalty. Psalm 79 is another cry to God in times of disaster. The author was angry with God, but even so, our trust must remain in Him. Psalm 80, a prayer for revival and restoration after, the, after experiencing destruction. God is our only hope for salvation. I want you to bear with me for a minute and, and try to picture this in your mind. Picture this scene. We've got King David. King David, the man who killed lions and bears as a boy protecting his sheep. The man who, again as a boy, killed Goliath with a single stone. King David, whose many victories in battle are documented in 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. King David, described as a man after God's own heart. But here, in the case of Psalm 60, let's picture him, maybe, maybe he's on his throne in his palace. Maybe he's out on the roof of his palace. He's looking northward to where the battle is, and he's greatly concerned about how it's going. But then there's a message brought to him about another battle, the surprise attack of Edom to the south. David has divided his great army between the, mo the majority of his army being in the north fighting the, the Syrians on that front, but he's left a small contingent there at the palace to guard the king. And that's all he's got to defend against Edom. The message that he's just gotten includes casualty, casualty reports that are shocking and disheartening. So the king of Israel momentarily drops his head and then he raises it, crying out to his God, Oh God, you have rejected us. The most painful words King David could ever imagine. Verse 1 of, of Psalm 60, Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. The psalm begins by laying out the heart of the matter. The people of Israel, they see themselves as if God has completely forgotten them. 
The word us in this verse refers to the people of God as a whole who are supposed to view themselves as God's treasured possession called for His own purposes. But in His anger against them, He has smashed down the nation's defenses, leaving it helplessly exposed to enemy attack. Verse 2, you have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. The blow that God has struck has convulsed the whole land and the people in it. We're not told whether this was an actual earthquake. If so, that might have been what caused the defeat in, on the northern border. This may just be imagery that's used to show the economic, political, and social devastation of the defeat. But regardless, the very walls of their society are tottering. If only God would repair the breaches and bring his people back to some level of normalcy. The Bible has used an earthquake many times to show God's anger or to display His power. Psalm 18.7 tells us that the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because He was angry. Isaiah 64.1 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. And then in Joel... Chapter 3, verse 16, the Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. Verse 3, you have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. So instead of the wine of blessing from God, God has given them the cup of judgment. God's rejection was intended to bring them back to Himself. The outpouring of divine vengeance is represented under the figure of presenting a cup which the doomed man is forced to drink. The prophet Isaiah writes of the cup of staggering, describing God's fury against Judah, saying, <clears throat> in Isaiah 51 verse 17, he says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath, you who have drunk to the dregs the bowl the cup of staggering. In the same chapter of Isaiah, verse 22, he says, Thus says the Lord, the Lord your God, who pleads the cause of His people, Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more. The wine of suffering that Israel is experiencing has caused them to stumble like a drunkard. Verse 4, You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow. So what does it mean for God 
to be our banner. You remember the Israelites, as they camped in the wilderness, they pitched their, their tents by the standard. The standard is another word for banner or flag. So they pitched their tents by the standard of their tribe, meaning that they all gathered together under their flag. Banners are also used to remember and commemorate. Banners are a rallying point in battle for those of a single allegiance to gather. We as Christians gather together under the banner of Jesus Christ. God loves truth and the people who belong to God will rally to truth like soldiers to their flag. The Apostle John wrote, When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Let the truth of God's word stir you to action and rally you to his cause. Verse 5, there's a change. David abruptly changes from complaining to prayer. He calls on God to save them so that the people he loves might be delivered from destruction, and he declares the certainty of God's victory because the surrounding nations are subject to him. David reminds God, as if God needed reminding, that these people of Israel are your beloved ones. It's why these words are so touching here and why he can confidently pray for restoration. The salvation David confidently prays for is success in their military endeavors with a view toward Israel being able to fulfill its calling in the world. The Bible Believer's Commentary says, Prayer is born from the ashes of humiliation. Speaking for both himself and his people, the psalmist implores the Lord for deliverance, victory, and the renewal of communion. Verses 6 through 8 talk about <clears throat> the different nations that are involved that God wants to speak of here. But David now encourages himself by reference to the aspect and assurances given earlier in regard to the possession of the land of Canaan and to victory over his hostile neighbors. And that he has his eye especially on the blessing of Jacob and Moses. If these assurances are to be depended on, Israel cannot now be about to be defeated by Edom as God is sovereign over all nations. God has also spoken in his holiness. As for God is holy, he cannot, cannot falsify his promises. The ESV study Bible says that these verses seem to recall an oracle that gives God's plan for Israel's place in the world. The places mentioned in verses 6 and 7, Shechem, Succoth, Gilead, Manasseh, Ephraim, and Judah are all parts of the land God promised to Israel. The places in verse 8, Moab, Edom, and Philistia are neighboring lands which also belong to the Lord. Israel exists 
to bring blessing to the Gentiles in the time of David. This normally happened as the nations came under Israelite sovereignty. Thus the military campaign is put in such context of Israel's mission uh, as mere territorial expansion as such was not a part of Israel's calling. God said in the cities and territories of Israel, excuse me, God said that the cities and territories of Israel were his, and he knew the future of each of these nations. When the world seems out of control, we must remind ourselves that God owns the cities and knows the future of every nation. God is in control. In and through him, we will gain the victory. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says that Judah is my scepter. This, this comes from a, verses, uh, a verse in Genesis, chapter 49, verse 10, that says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This verse speaks of the coming of Jesus Christ. Jacob's son Judah inherited the leadership aspect of the firstborn's inheritance. The leadership position among his brothers meant that the eventual kings of Israel would come from Judah and, from, and that the Messiah would eventually come from the tribe of Judah. Hence, the land of Judah could never totally be conquered by the enemies of the Lord God. Verse 8 is interesting. Moab is described as a wash pot. It means that Moab will wash the feet of Israel. They will be enslaved and treated harshly. Also interesting, over Edom I will cast my shoe. To cast a shoe, or as sometimes said, to draw off a sandal, was a common way to confirm a transaction. So Edom is confirmed as a possession of God. Verses 9 through 12 outline God's redemption. Verse 9, Who will bring me to the fortified city are the words of David longing for the day when the capital city of Edom will fall into the hands of the Israelites. So to arrive in Edom is the culmination of the military campaign. If it is to do God's work, the army of Israel must seek God's help. To rely merely on their human capacities would not only be fruitless, but as verse 11 says, vain in the salvation of man it would mean that they were rejecting God's calling. Verse 10 says that God is no longer accompanying Israel's army as a guarantee for victory. But in verse 11, David pleads for God to fight once again on behalf of his troubled people. Divine help is indispensable 
the help of man is useless. As David's spiritual eyes gain their focus, God's attributes come more clearly into view and his accusations against God are substituted with words of trust. Psalm 44.5 tells us, Through you we will push down our enemies. Through your name we will trample those who rise up against us. And in verse 12, David declares his assurance that although God has appeared for a while to have abandoned his people, he will now arise and enable them to gain victory. Seeing God as a refuge, David understands that God's protection, God protects his people because he loves them, not because they are worthy of his love. David remembers that God is sovereign over nations. This absolute sovereignty is seen in all of salvation history, finally culminating in Jesus Christ. Confessing God's sovereignty turns the believer toward a valiant courage that only our God, the ultimate conqueror, can give. Romans 8.37 reminds us that in all things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Ultimately, through Jesus Christ, God fulfills His promises to Abraham and the New Testament tells us that God's way of continuing to fulfill His promises is through faithful Christian witness, extending not just to the promised land of Israel, but to the ends of the earth. Worship team, y'all can start making your way up here. While they're coming, let's take a quick look back at the big idea for this sermon. In order to gain the victory that God desires for us, we must lift high the banner of the love of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. God is our banner because we live to celebrate and honor his faithfulness to us, shown in countless ways from the rising sun to the risen Christ. God, through Jesus Christ, is our banner because we remember all his deeds and his words graciously given to us through Scripture. God, through Jesus Christ, is our banner because he gives us identity and our label as God's children because of the saving work of Jesus. God, through Jesus Christ, is our banner because we are his representatives to the world, making him visible and showing the beauty of his transforming work. God, through Jesus Christ, is our banner because all of this is an invitation, a pull, a summons, a tug to anyone who would believe. Jesus Christ deeply wants you to join him under his banner of love. Our enemies are the world and the flesh. In ourselves, we are powerless to conquer them. The only victory 
is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who trust in Him will gain victory over sin and the eternal life available only through the blood of Christ. If you've not made the decision to follow Christ, to gather under His banner with other Christians, please don't wait. Do that today. If you have any questions or would just like to talk, you can see Kyle or Jasper, Alan, James, myself after the service or call us anytime. We'd love to have the opportunity to talk with you more.